Hey there, Frosty and Pretty Podcast listeners. As promised, Tony has dropped the new podcast, the Conditional Sixth Podcast. You can check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, probably some other places too, including Podbean. But as an exclusive for our Frosty and Perenny podcast listeners, we are going to also debut their pilot right here, right now. But make sure you head over to their page, click follow, subscribe, and uh, make sure we support their podcast as well. And we will catch you very soon with more Frosty and Perenny podcast. Tony, take it away. The Conditional Six Podcast is presented by Steel Valley Media. Be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Click to download and subscribe and be on the lookout for the launch of the Conditional Six Twitter page coming out later this week. On this, the inaugural, the kickoff episode of the Conditional Six Pod, we'll dive face first into the middle of the QB carousel, which is spinning like never before. Oh, and there was a flurry of trades in the Friday news dump this week. We'll tackle the impact of these and how it affects the various chess pieces involved. Hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, this take it away. New show, who dis? Welcome to the Conditional Six Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Perenni, joined by our co-host, Trey Charles. Here it is, the pilot. After more than a year of talking about it, Trey, we are officially on the clock. So pumped to be here, Tony. Um, glad to just be doing doing what we do and breaking down uh, the greatest and best of uh, NFL and college football. Yeah, excited. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, just a quick rundown for everybody, you know. Uh, when, when last our heroes met here, we were on the Frosty podcast this time last year, just going over a few draft episodes. And uh, I, I think we did pretty well with it. We'll, we'll get into a couple of our, our quick wins and some good calls that we that we made here in a little bit. But um, that's really where the genesis of this all came from. And uh, we've put together a pretty nice Discord uh really database of information for this year going into it. And uh, we, we've pulled our good buddy Steve into it as well. He, he will join us for some of our fantasy bits. Um, I, th- I think we have a pretty good lineup of things coming in the next couple of weeks and uh, uh, really excited. Uh, hope that everybody enjoys it. Uh, any Anything you're really looking forward to there, Trey? Just looking forward to taking it to the next level. I mean, just love being on the Frosty podcast last year and, and just talking shop and, and breaking down way too much film and uh, way too many prospects who, you know, maybe six round picks, hence our name, the conditional six. Um, but just looking forward to diving into it. You know, the, the, the headliners, you know, uh, all the quarterback movement, all the big moves, all the all the coach movement, excited to get into that as well as as the more finite guys and um, the depth of the draft class and um, the roster construction around the league. So just looking forward to expanding this and diving in and, and giving the people what they want. So, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's got hobbies. Some people will watch Netflix, some people TikTok. Uh, we, uh, we some seem to just, uh, watch game film and then break down football players. So it's, uh, everybody's got the thing and uh, it's glad, glad that we can share that with, uh, the masses out here. So hopefully people enjoy it. Uh, before we really get rolling, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to, 
our producer, Vince Provenzale. He's really the one who's going to be making this thing move on a weekly basis here. And he was also the one who put together that nice uh, riff that started the show there, the intro bit. Uh, He kind of put that together in about 20 minutes. I I was kind of disappointed. The initial one he sent me was a a very raw one, and it had his son Reese yelling at him through most of it. And I I feel like we kind of lost a little bit of the character when he went back and recorded it. So uh, it would have been cool to have have Reese play a little role there. But uh, Vince killed it, and we're glad to have him on board. And uh, he's going to be a big, big asset for us here because uh, we don't know a whole lot about uh, audio quality. Yeah, without Vince, we're not here. So, Vince, thank you. And uh, we're looking forward to a nice long run and uh, really enjoying this ride. Yeah, I thought, thought he'd be on here with us, but I'm pretty sure he's nursing off a pretty bad hangover from, uh, <laughs> from last night. So, good for you, Vince. And uh, hopefully, you've had one for us as well. Uh, so, we quickly alluded to uh, our spots on the Frosty Pod last year. So, I, I think it would be be downright awkward to not kind of look back on, on some of the things we talked about last year. We, we ended the season with a, uh, a big mock draft that we both uh, collaborated on. And I think we had some pretty good calls on there. Um, I, I specifically, I know everybody last year was on Jeffrey Okuda all year as cornerback one. Uh, Trey, you were the one who was out there on an island by yourself saying, you know, CJ Henderson is the dude in this draft class. And looking back, you nailed the CJ Henderson to Jacksonville pick. And you also nailed him looking like cubes, looking like cornerback one, really. Any, any comments on that? Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, thanks for the shout out and, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to get into some of the calls you've had as well, but, um, that was just my guy, you know, the second, the second I saw him, he really just jumped off the tape. I didn't think any of the other corners last year were close and nothing against Jeffrey Okuda. I think he'll be a, a very solid pro. Um, but sometimes that draft type, that draft type really gets out of hand. And uh, when you see Henderson out there for the Jaguars with a minimal pass rush and just thrust out into the spotlight as a rookie, as the corner one, taking on alpha receivers, you know, I think all things considered, he had a great year, um, you know, a few minor lapses, but just already as a ball hawk, um, I compared him to Stefan Gilmore. I know it's still a bullish comparison, but I'm going to stay there. Um, you know, just athletically, um, you know, four, three runners, uh, six foot two long arms, sky to the ball, great instincts, and just that alpha mentality. And so excited to watch him, um, and excited to get into some of the other corners that, that, uh, uh, may rival him this year. So excited to talk that and, uh, really want to bring to light, uh, you know, one, and we can get into more of these, but one of the major calls that you had last year, I, I think Tristan Wirfs was the number three overall player on your board. And just from the second, the second you saw him, you know, you, you felt the same way and maybe even stronger about worse than I did about Henderson. And, and we saw that come to light this year. So maybe, maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah. Last year was kind of interesting with all the uh, offensive tackle prospects. You had four big ones that were pretty much protect, projected to go in the top 10 to 15 picks. Uh, and everybody had different 
ratings on all those guys. Worfs from day one was my top guy. I thought he had the best blend of size, strength, athleticism. He had a wrestling background, which was very evident when you watch this film, that it, it helped him quite a bit, uh, especially in the run game. And, you know, sometimes it's just the perfect marriage of where you go. You know, Tampa was the perfect place for him to go. Uh, there's a lot of structure there already. Um, they made some other offensive line additions uh, that came in and helped. And they were able to plug him right in at right tackle, a position he had already played. So there was there was no need to, to flop him to the other side. I know there were some people going into last year's draft that were thinking he was going to be a guard. Um, I didn't see it, though I don't think he would be a fish out of water if he did ship him inside, but um, they let him stay at the right tackle spot that he had played at Iowa. And he looked very natural in there and uh, may have played better than any right tackle in football last year um, as a rookie when that is very difficult to do. Um, Definitely something we're coming from uh, a team like Iowa who runs a very pro style system um, facing defensive ends and defensive linemen that Will mostly will play in the NFL. I think that helped him transition quite a bit. So, um, yeah, that, that one looked pretty good, though. I mean, looking back at the offensive tackle class, there wasn't a single one of those four guys that didn't look like they didn't belong last year in year one. It's just worse. was just on a whole nother level. Um, and last year's draft was it, it produced a lot of good players. Uh, one that um, we were, you know, I wouldn't say we were out on, but I also wouldn't say we were super bullish on uh, Justin Herbert. I, I think it's worth mentioning there. You know, why, why do you think he looks so much better as a rookie than even we would have expected? Well, uh, some of those things are hard to quantify. I mean, when he was unleashed, so to speak, when Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor went down with a punctured lung, <clears throat> there was no stopping him. I mean, and just from a physical talent standpoint, we, we touched on this and we said, listen, the guy, he has the gifts to, he has, you know, he's more gifted than Burrow. He, he has the physicality, the speed, the arm strength, um, to be just a ridiculous player at the quarterback position. But the problem was his Oregon tape didn't show it. And it really kind of exposed the Oregon system for not kind of letting him, loose. And so he got out there last year with Anthony Lynn and, and, you know, he did have the reliability of Keenan Allen, um, some fireworks with Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. And that was pretty cool, but it's not like the chargers had a great offensive line by any means. He went out there and, um, just, you know, a natural throw of the football with an absolute cannon and just, you know, smelled blood in the water and just took that job. And that will be his job for, definitely a foreseeable future next 10 years minimum. And, you know, he has every look of a hall of fame quarterback. So it's hard to make that call off of his Oregon tape, but he's, he's always had the the physical capacity to do so. Yeah. It almost has to have an effect on how you look at the QB position moving forward. And I think it's always been something where uh, you wonder how things you see in college transition to the NFL. And I think this is an instance where, uh, a lot of the things they do at Oregon, they're just not asking him to do what he needs to do in the NFL. So uh, you go into the draft season not even knowing if he can do it. Um, I think that's a big piece of it. I think, I think we mentioned that quite a bit last year uh, when we were breaking down the QB position uh, and, and Herbert specifically. You know, this dude, I think my comp for him was uh, Josh Allen with a better, with a more accurate arm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I if I go back to my notes and and, and look up that that's where I had him because I knew he was a good athlete. I knew you know he's got the the big body, big time arm. Um, can be deadly accurate when he needs to be, but sometimes that ball tends to get away from him. Um, but it was just, it was just hard to see in that Oregon offense because a lot of the stuff you're being asked to do in the NFL, turning your back to the defense to, uh, and then turning them back around and, and finding your targets and going through progressions uh, um, on full field reads, you know, none of that stuff they're asked to do at Oregon. So it, it almost has to affect the way you look at the upcoming class because uh, you know, there are a lot of good QBs and we're about to jump right into them. Um, it has to affect the way you look at them as well, because you have to wonder, you know, is it a matter of this guy can't do something or he just didn't do something? So um, we, we could we could go on and on and on about last year's draft and about uh, our performance, some, some of our whims, some of our whiffs uh, from last year. Um but I think everybody's ready to move forward. And uh, the, the podcast gods gave us a massive gift yesterday, Trey. Um, two trades, uh, not one, but two in a matter of a couple hours that directly affect the top 15 of the draft. Yeah, unbelievable um, what Miami has done. Um, Miami takes their number three um, spins it over to San Francisco who aggressively moves up for a quarterback in that number three spot. But in return, you know, they get back the 49ers 12th as well as um, two more first and a third. And then they spin the 12th and another one of those first back to the Eagles um, and, and move into the sixth spot. So in breaking that down, basically what's going to happen is we know there's going to be a run on four quarterbacks three or four quarterbacks to start the draft and the, and the dolphins are extremely confident that they can get the playmaker they want at the six pick. So likely they think that either the Bengals aren't number five are going to go with an offensive tackle. Um, or if they take a playmaker, it's not going to be their guy. And so, um, it's really fascinating just to kind of go macro here. What the Miami dolphins and Chris Greer have done, um, in, in just accumulating picks, um, in this little five-year window. I mean, basically this all started with spinning Laramie Tunzel to my to Houston from Miami, um, for two or three first round picks. And he's since parlayed that into, um, just a plethora of talent and, and giving much needed depth to a team that was just decimated. Yeah. It was funny. I saw a meme on, uh, on Twitter yesterday. It was, it was the, how it started versus how it's going one. And it the, how it started had Tunsil with the, with the mask on from draft night. And then the, how it's going was like Donald duck jumping in a pool of gold. <laughs> it, it was, it was so perfect uh, for the situation, but uh, dolphins, essentially they netted a first round pick and a third round pick to move back three spots when it's all said and done. I mean, that that's incredible. Uh, yeah. You could sit here and debate all day long whether it's worth moving back up from 12 to 6 and giving up a first to do it. But at the end of the day, when you look at the overall picture, you're still coming out ahead and you're probably getting the guy that you were targeting at three all along. Exactly. So hard to really hate that. You know, one thing I can really appreciate from this trade is that the amount of clarity it gives us to the overall picture, right? So we, we came into this week, we came into this episode expecting we're going to talk about the QB carousel. We're going to talk about the teams that are indefinitely in the market, some that might be in the market, some that are definitely out of the market. And 
when I first put together a list on the Google Drive of the teams that potentially might be in the market, uh, the four teams uh, involved in these trades, I guess the three teams that are involved in the trades and one additional team were right in that middle column for me. And I think we got clarity on all four in the situation. So if, when we're looking at it, uh, Dolphins moving back, you know, there's a definite question as to whether they would stick with two or whether they would take advantage of having that third overall spot and uh, try to do what the Cardinals did uh, with Kyler Murray a year after they took Rosen. And uh, in this instance, they showed you right there, they are out of the quarterback market for this year. They moved back all the way back to 12, getting themselves out of the top range for those those big quarterbacks. I know they ended up moving back up, but uh, I don't think you even risk moving out of the top 10 if you're in the QB market. Um, no way. Yeah, there's, it's, it's just way too risky at that point. You don't want to risk losing your guy. Um, so there's some clarity there. Dolphins out. Uh, Jets, uh, you know, they weren't involved directly in these deals, but this message with the Niners going up to three, to me, tells you right away the Jets are taking quarterback because uh, you know the Niners were calling the Jets first on that one because you know the, the connections there. Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, and Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator for the Jets, they both came from San Fran. They are as connected in that Niners organization as anybody. Um, this speaks to me that, you know, the, the Jets obviously know who they're taking already. Uh, and that I feel pretty strongly the Niners know who the Jets are taking already. That's, that's already leaked through those two organizations. So the Niners knew they had to get up to three in order to get their guy, who they now know will still be there. So um, it tells you right away the Niners are in the market. The Jets are in the market. So it takes those two off the fence for me. And then you have the Eagles dropping back. Um, this tells me they are out of the QB market because they would also wouldn't sacrifice that sixth spot and they'd be looking to move up if anything. Uh, so this tells me at least for this year, uh, they're out on it. And it looks like they might actually be stockpiling some assets, mm -hmm. uh, in case Hertz doesn't work out this year. Yeah. They, I mean, they have the potential, the Eagles do to have three, three first rounders next year. Um, you know, depending on how Wentz pans out in Indianapolis, um, they could also gain the Colts first round pick next year. Um, and so, you know, they, you know, that, like you said, they're stockpiling up, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give Hertz a look, but this is a long play for them. You know, I think <clears throat> they've had a lot of roster turnover, a lot of aging, um, a lot of injury, and <clears throat> they need to do exactly what Miami did and, and, and add picks and, and gain, uh, you know, multiple positions with, with young talent, um, influx, as opposed to just one a year. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, you talked about the teams that you, you, they were borderline in the market and, and it's funny, you know, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, the 49ers, I think they were last on our list. They were like, yeah, maybe they are in the market. Um, but sure enough, they are. And I think you broke that down pretty, pretty nicely. And it makes our life a whole lot easier as we were going to get into mocks and projections. Um, especially last year, we were, we were putting together some, some pretty interesting trade possibilities. We knew teams were going to move up for the quarterbacks for Tua, for Herbert after Burrow went to Cincinnati, but we didn't know who. So it's a huge advantage for us this year. Um, and I think all focus now shifts to the Falcons, right? I mean, we know there's gonna be quarterbacks in the first three picks. Are the Falcons going to stick with Matt Ryan? Are they going to try to win now? 
are they going to, I mean, they have a ton of capital to move between that fourth pick between Matt Ryan, between Julio Jones, um, depending on where they want to take this. And certainly, you know, there's four or five quarterbacks that, that the whole draft community, the whole football community is pretty bullish on. So, um, that fourth guy, you know, whether, whether it be Lance, um, Fields, Wilson, um, somebody's gonna be hot enough on them, I think to probably send something to Atlanta and move up into that four spot and secure. Um, there's gonna be a lot of competition there and Atlanta has got to be salivating to, to really add some capital themselves. Yeah. And that, that's all assuming that they don't want the quarterback themselves. So, um, exactly. You know, they're, they're kind of one of those ones that would be in that, that middle category of, we don't quite know. Uh, in this instance, I would expect they're going to do just what you just described. And they're probably going to look to trade out of that spot and get a haul. Uh, or they sit there and they just get the best position player in the draft, whoever right. they deem, whoever they deem that to be, whether that's, uh, Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell, you know, they, they have some good options there and that entire board is going to be intact for them. So going to be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah. I think, I think really the other team you'd look at moving up uh, would have been the Carolina Panthers who have been more outspoken than anyone as to how much they are in the quarterback market this year. And um, the fact that the, the Niners went up and got that Dolphins pick and the Jets are, very much likely going quarterback that really screws the Panthers over because there's no way the Falcons are going to help the Panthers organization. <laughs> so uh, no, they're going to stay iced out. Your boys, you're a Panthers fan. Your, your boys are kind of boxed out right now. They so sure they, are. They need to keep working the Watson side. And that obviously has some, there's some things going on on that end right now too. But let's just launch into, you know, who is in this market? So who's left at this point that that still needs to get themselves in a position to get a QB or needs to go hunting? Um, you know, obviously the Jaguars are number one on that one, and they are obviously in a position to get a quarterback. But uh, Trey, give me another team that really sticks out to you as one that um, you know, besides the Panthers, besides some of the ones we've talked about already, that really needs to make sure they prioritize the QB position. Um, I'm going to say Washington, the Washington football team. Um, you know, I know, I know Fitzpatrick's there. Uh, he was borderline on wanting to play another year. Um, the reason you bring in a guy like Fitzpatrick is so he can do exactly what he did last year and, and mentor the younger quarterback. Um, they're stuck, you know, I believe it's in the late teens, 18 or 19 right now. Um, but listen, this team, this ascending defense um, is really, really blossoming. Right. I mean, they're, they're built to really win in this, this three to five year window. You got an outstanding pass rush, you know, obviously chase young, but Martez sweat, Jonathan Allen. Um, you know, you have just a, a great defensive scheme with coach Rivera and what he brings. Um, and then on offense, you know, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, uh, Antonio Gibson, you got a young set of playmakers there. You can do some really cool things with And I think, I think we'll see Fitzpatrick have some success, but again, you bring in a guy like that and you're clearly setting this, setting the tone. You want to hand the keys, you know, to that Lamborghini over to someone who can drive it, you know, and there, that'll be interesting to see what they do at 18. You know, we can get into some of these um, second tier quarterback prospects that, that may be a good fit there, but um, I don't know that they necessarily have the capital to move up, but I, I do think they're in the market heavily with the team they have. 
Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I can't imagine they're going into the future with Taylor Heineke. Uh, no. Fitzpatrick handing the keys to him. I know he, yeah, asserted himself pretty well in that playoff game. But uh, you know, it's 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 always easier for a backup to come in and, and play well in a spot start when there's no film on him. Um, I can't imagine that would be the case this year. So they would definitely be in there. Um, a, a team that I think is still in the market, even though they've made a move already this offseason, the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Uh, I know they. Uh, what a what a shot to the pills for that fan base. They're going weeks, weeks on weeks, thinking that you know they're they're going to pony up all the assets they can. They're gonna they're all in on this Russell Wilson uh, pursuit. We're going to get him, and then you end up signing Andy Dalton, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way. I mean, I think into a Fitzpatrick, right? I think that's going to be a similar role there in Chicago. I would hope at least. Yeah, and and the Bears have just done this so much with these patchwork quarterbacks over the years. The the Josh McCowns, the Nick Foles, um, and they're just doing it again with Andy Dalton. It's like uh, it's it's like you're running the same QB out there over again. You're just changing the nameplate on the back. Uh, you have to really feel for uh, feel for those fans because they got to feel like they're just, just stuck in purgatory or they just can't get a QB right now. Um, you think that they have any chances of getting uh, either of those top QBs or anybody via trade? You know, Sam Darnold is now going to be available. Uh, I think that's pretty evident with this, these deals that happened yesterday. Uh, do you think there's any way the Bears don't get boxed out here? It's it's hard to imagine a scenario where they could move move up high enough to take a, one of these no doubt prospects, um, but they do have capital. You know, I think they you know the report came out of how they met with John Schneider and um, Seattle's GM on Russell Wilson, and they offered three first rounders and um, couldn't make it work. And so I think I think um, you know they're they're certainly in the market. They're not done. Uh, they obviously tried to swing a big one with the rust trade, um, which which would have just been absolute fireworks. So um, I think quietly, you know, they're they're going to be in that Deshaun Watson market, too. You know, they missed out on him once. I'm sure they don't want to miss out on him again. They have guys like Khalil Mack, um, some big name guys that they can move with picks um, to a team. I think Sam Darnold would be a natural fit. I mean, New York, like you said, um, they're pretty much assuredly going quarterback um, and going to be really excited about who it is. Um, But that doesn't mean they can't get a decent return back for a very good young player in Sam Darnold. Um, But still, if if that were to happen, Chicago's fan base, I I still don't think they'd be happy. I I feel like they think they're settling again. And so it'll be interesting to see um, if they can move up in the draft or if they can swing a true franchise quarterback. Well, they're never going to be happy, Trey. It's just just typical Chicago sports there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they're swinging everything they can to try and get Russ. I was really shocked that they didn't end up being the ones that came away with Wentz, honestly, because I I thought they would be the most desperate team uh, going after QBs. And at that time, there was no indication that there was any unrest, at least publicly, uh, between Wilson and the Seahawks. and I don't think they had any reason to suspect that they were going to be able to land Watson at that time. I really thought they were going to be the team that was going to pony up, you know, a, a non-conditional first round pick for Carson Wentz uh, with, 
with some of the, uh, the, the connections there um, from the, the Eagles staff to the Bears staff, you know, kind of coming from the same uh, line of thinking. Uh, I really thought that was where Wentz was going to end up when it was all said and done. Cause I just thought the bears were going to be more desperate than the Colts. So they're kind of in a point now where, <clears throat> you know, Ryan Paces has to be on his last life. Now we've thought he's been on his last life a couple times. Um, usually when you trade up, uh, and give up valuable assets to go up to number two and select a franchise QB like Trubisky and he ends up flaming out like that, you don't typically get another shot doing the QB thing. And he's gotten essentially two more uh, going out, uh, getting foals. And now um, whatever he ends up doing this year, uh, like I said, I can't imagine he's done with just Dalton because if he is, uh, he's going to be literally done as a GM. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Totally agree with that. He's this is his last shot, and he needs to kind of fire on all cylinders and make something happen. It's it's not something to where uh, you know Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Darnold or Gardner Minshew is is going to do the trick. I mean, they need they need a guy that they can hang their hat on, and so it'll be interesting. You know, if they if they sent um, Khalil Mack and <clears throat> you know a couple ones to Atlanta to see if they could get up there. Or, um, even even another team, if, if they felt like they could get into the top 10 um, and at least make a splash, you know, with with one of these top five quarterback um, yep. uh, prospects. Yep. And I, I, I hear Charlotte in the background going off on the Bears, too. I mean, she's obviously not very happy at all with what they've done this offseason. I, I can't blame her at all. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hence her name, Charlotte. She she has no. um interest in what goes on in the windy city she's she's, <laughs> she's totally on the deshaun watson train and she is banging the door for deshaun every day so she's wondering why why he wasn't on the squad last week but um yeah. we're getting closer and closer to inching it out and good news on that front that um you know david tepper and, and matt rule i mean they seem to be um totally locked in you know and and uh focused on still obtaining deshaun so it, it seems like it might take a little longer with with some of the legal things going on. But um, I think, you know, you got a guy like Teddy Bridgewater and again, another team in the, in the market here, the Panthers got a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, you know, worst case, you can keep riding it out a little bit longer until you can get the deal done. But I think they're, they're totally locked in on Deshaun. They, they might even make a horrible deal to, to, to get him at this point. I think that's, that's Deshaun or die for, for the Panthers organization. So yeah, well, they're kind of in a spot now where they, they have to almost give up a ton to get him. But it, it seems like everybody's in a holding pattern on the Sean front right now because you know of the obvious legal issues out there and uh, not going to make any determinations one way or another uh, on the legal ramifications of that as far as uh, if they're true, if they're not true, that's for the, the courts to settle out and, and that's going to happen. But uh, what is is very, very true and very factual uh, from my standpoint is I don't know how the Texans can possibly expect to get the haul that they were going to get just a couple weeks ago right now when this type of stuff is looming over everything. Because uh, let's just say if, you know, this this might be going to criminal court from what I, what I heard last week. And if that's the case, I can't imagine it's going to move very quickly. So you might be in a situation um, where this is kind of hanging over his head going into training camp. Um, 
it just puts teams into a real bind where initially you would have easily given up three first round picks and a couple really good players uh, to get this talent. And now it's like, am I really going to give up that many assets for a guy who uh, could end up having some suspensions coming down and things like that if, if the worst case scenario happens. So um, what, you know, as a Panthers fan, Trey, what would you be willing to give up for him right now uh, with this type of stuff also on the ledger? Well, I think like you said, it, it provides some, some space in the negotiation. I mean, at the beginning of this process, they're talking about Christian McCaffrey, Brian Burns, three first round picks and a third. I mean, that's, that's a preposterous return, even with a healthy and, and no issue. I mean, that would turn the Texans organization around in a heartbeat. So, um, but I think now, you know, you're looking at, um, you're still looking at a couple ones and you're probably looking at a cornerstone player, but instead of five, five-star assets in the trade, you're probably looking at three, you know, with a, with a couple things tacked onto the back of it, just because of the question mark. Um, and it's, it's, it's not the short-term question mark as much as it's a long-term question mark. I mean, Watson's young. Um, you know, there's, there's really no question in his longevity as a football player. Um, the question is, you know, if, if there is any substance to this, which, you know, I hope, I hope there's not. I mean, by all accounts, it seems like he's a great guy. And, you know, like you said, we'll let the, let the courts handle it. But um, nonetheless, it's, it's the questions of the long term. You know, if, if we make this move to totally put the organization on, on the back of this player, you know, will he be there for us? And the Texans have to understand that now also as a negotiation tactic. And frankly, I don't think they wanted to negotiate in the first place. I think a lot of people came down there because of Deshaun Watson. And um, it, it's just it feels like one of those sagas that might not go away, unfortunately, for a few years. You know, I, I remember as a kid, you know, and, and we saw it again in the last dance when Scottie Pippen was requesting a trade from the Chicago Bulls for like two years. And it feels like one of those situations where there's just the organization's unwilling to do it. The players disgruntled, not happy. Um, doesn't matter that there's a huge return on the other end of it. Um, so you know, you just want the best for the player and, and the organization. And, um, you know, I think it's time that they both move on. But like you said, I, I totally agree. It, it could be a, a process and take a little while. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, normally in these cases, it's it's a non-starter to talk about dealing your franchise quarterback at all. It doesn't matter how disgruntled they get. Like you look at Green Bay, where it's been rumored that Rodgers has been disgruntled for a couple years now. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're not dealing Aaron Rodgers, that's not happening. And I, I think a similar situation in Seattle right now, where Russ can be as unhappy as he wants to be, uh, there is no incentive for Seattle to trade him away. Because um, what are they going to get? A bunch of first round picks. Uh, Schneider has already shown in the past couple of years that he has no idea what to do with first round picks. <laughs> I, I would go as far as to say he knows he has no idea what to do with first round picks. He keeps trading them away for other players. So to to yeah. give up, give up three, four first round picks that Seattle quite frankly doesn't want. Um, I, I can't see that happening, but this is that, that one lone instance in Houston where I think the split makes perfect sense on both sides of it for him because, um, Bill O'Brien just did such a, um, 
such a complete and thorough job of just bankrupting that franchise of any and all assets they had to improve. And at this point, you're marching Deshaun Watson out there with a complete skeleton crew. You've gotten rid of all of his weapons. The guys that you brought in this offseason just scream tank job. I mean, you're, you're paying above market value for guys that are average players across the board. I, I like you're, you're not going to be able to put a winning team around Deshaun Watson with the lack of assets you have by the time his contract's up. You're just not going to be able to do it. Um, yeah. They completely bungled him being on a rookie contract, which is that's a gold mine for teams in the NFL. That that five year period where you have a really good young quarterback and he's cheap. They completely ruined that. Uh, they they gave away all all the star potential that they had. Um, they've pretty much you know JJ Watt ends up ends up leaving. Uh, they waste his really good years. Um, just not a good organization top to bottom. And it sounds like it's just getting murkier there, but I, I agree with you here. I, I think this is the one weird scenario where it actually does make sense to trade away your, your young franchise QB who you just gave a big contract to, because I, I just don't see any way this is successful in Houston. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, they've, they've hemorrhaged draft picks and salary cap over the last five years with O'Brien and, and, charge there and um there's no real leverage here it's it's either you know take the ammo and build your team for the future or have a horrible team around an all-time great player and you know still still you're not going to win so it just yeah at the end of the day as cool as it is to have a franchise quarterback like that you know they just need to accept that they really screwed it up and they need to move forward and you know the the return they could get for a player like that could really put them in a situation like we see is happening with Miami who you know was was in a similar place a couple of years ago and and they've just stockpiled the young talent so um you know organizationally you, you just want to see them do what's best so so the Dolphins reference uh, perfectly brings us right back around uh, from a from the transition standpoint uh, to those trades yesterday. So, you know, we, we kind of went over uh, how much it helps the overall macro picture. Um, so now the big question is, uh, who's the Jets guy? Who's the 49ers guy? Um, any indication now as we as we start to launch into these QB prospects? Well, uh, from watching Zach Wilson's pro day yesterday, let me say a, that, that he looks great. Um, just an exceptional prospect, um, that, you know, I know the, he hasn't been on that national stage, like, like Lawrence and, and fields have, um, but just, and, and we'll get into this deeper, but just incredibly natural thrower of the football, the most natural thrower in the class, which is saying something and just the timing, the feel, the accuracy he has and the athletic, just the, the applicable athleticism, the pocket athleticism to be mobile, extend plays. Um, it fits perfectly with, with the, the modern NFL quarterback. I um, think the draft analysts are falling in love because, you know, he's like the shiny new toy and we're, we're very familiar with Lawrence and fields because we've, we've seen him right on the, on the biggest stage for the last three years. 
but I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on who the number two pick's going to be. You know, both teams, the, the Niners and the Jets, were right behind Wilson the whole time he was throwing yesterday. Um, but I'm sure they'll both be right behind Justin Fields when he's throwing um, here at his pro day. So um, I think it's a it, it's an airtight race, and that's a credit to Wilson to be able to to get his name at that level um, with such a lower amount of competition and exposure. But um, it's anybody's guess. Uh, do you have a particular feeling? My gut still says Fields. Um, and that's just a gut call. I know. I know Wilson's been all the rage, and um, that's that's pretty normal for a guy who's coming off his his pro day this week and next week. Uh, I think Ohio State's uh, pro day is next week. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be all the rage because that, that that's, that's just how it happens. You know, these QBs they script their own workouts here. They're designed to make them look good. Uh, they almost always do. It's more of a story when they don't look good, really. <laughs> <laughs> than, than it is when when they look great like if the narrative is anything other than uh x quarterback looked amazing at, a, at his pro day then they did it wrong <laughs> essentially yeah um, so my lean is still with fields i think the draft i know he's he's kind of become the whipping boy for draft analysts out there um i, I saw i saw gil brandt uh, you know, longtime uh, NFL scout tweet out yesterday that he's hearing in some in some NFL circles that uh, the people were all over the board on Justin Fields. And he's heard uh, from from a team that had him uh, graded as a fourth round pick as far back as that. And I think that's that's ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous. And if that's true, that that team probably won't be in the scouting business for much longer. Um, it's either the Texans or the Bears. True. <laughs> maybe maybe it's Jack Easterby himself throwing a <laughs> a scouting report down. He's just taking over the full scouting operations because why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Fields. I I'm still pretty high on him. Uh, he's he's been my number two QB. I know he's been your number two QB for most of this process. Yeah. Um, I I don't. I I didn't see enough from him last year to, to ding him. You know, he comes in, he just torches Clemson in that college football playoff game. Now I know that was an instance where kind of had, they kind of had Clemson circled on the calendar for the entire year going into that after, after the year before. So I know they were very well prepared for that game. Um, At some of the things that, that fields is getting dinged for out there, you know, it's, um, not being able to pro- progress past his first read, locking on to guys. And uh, some of this is some of the same stuff we were talking about, Justin Herbert, like a, a lot of that Ohio state offense, it's a, it's a one read. It's a single side of the field uh, progression type of offense. It really doesn't ask a whole lot of, of, the, of the QB to, to make progression. So is it something he needs to work on? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to, sit here and say that he doesn't, but it's really not that uncommon for these QBs to even ones going in the first round to come in and uh, be a little shaky when it comes to, to working through the progressions, because there's a lot of offenses out there in college that don't really ask them to master that task. And I think this is an instance here um, where that's still the case. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm airtight on these two prospects on fields and Wilson. Um, Wilson looked great this year. And I, and I agree. He's probably the best pure passer of anyone in this class. Like it's, uh, it looks so effortless the way he, um, you know, 
works through progressions and way he uh, just just flicks the ball out there. It almost looks Aaron Rodgers esque, and that that's not a, a comp. It's just it's just saying, you know, it's kind of the feeling you get watching him throw the ball, and. I think it's a big credit to him that he's been able to work his way up into this territory. Um, my my questions on Wilson have always been around the level of competition. You know, they, they really didn't play uh, much of anyone this past season. He went into Boise uh, and torched the, the Broncos in Boise. That's something that really never happens. So that is a pretty impressive feat to do. Um but if you look, if you look at his stats in the 2019 season when he was facing some Pac-12 teams, you know it, his numbers look uh, a lot more human than they did this past season. So um, there's still a little bit of question to me there, um, as far as you know, if, if if it's close for the Jets between those two guys, could it be enough to swing it? by the fact that Justin Fields has played in the spotlight, has played in big games and will likely be or likely has a, a lower chance of being phased by the New York spotlight and all the media attention out there. Yeah, I think the natural fit is, is Fields in New York just for the exact reason. He, he knows the big stage and the, um, just the pressures that come, even with how down the Jets have been, um, the pressures that come with playing in that city are immense. You know, you come from a school with a huge fan base like Ohio State, and before that, a huge fan base like Georgia. And before that, he's going back and forth with uh, Trevor Lawrence on, you know, high school, huge events in high school and, and battling for that number one spot and on ESPN as a 16-year-old. He totally... Um, understands the big stage and is comfortable with it. And like you said, he's gone against Clemson and just eating them alive. And he's gone against teams that are full of NFL talent and just really put on a show. And you can't say that about Wilson. Um, Wilson to me, he feels like the one that Shanahan would move up for. He just feels very Kyle Shanahan. And I can't really quantify that. I just feel like if he if he realized, like you said, those organizations are close. If he realized that um, Wilson was going to be on the board, I could see him saying, you know what? This is like a, a way better, more talented throw of the football version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And he can fit right into our offense seamlessly and, and um, you know, be our distributor, be our point guard. I mean, because that that offense is all you need is a point guard. You know, it's, it's the short passes to Debo and Ayuk. it's, it's Kittle over the middle. Um, it's not, it's not, it doesn't demand, um, anything more than being a really great distributor of the football. And I think going back to the level of competition with Wilson, yeah, you, you don't see him do it against the highest level, but you do see the signs of the distribution, the distribution of the football, just accurate on time, quick release, easy, natural. And he throws the ball into really tight windows over and over and over again. Um, and he, he just is really impressive in that light. Now, New York is rebranding their, their whole team. And, and I think as you, as you touched on in, Chicago, they've struck it wrong so many times at quarterback. Um, they have to get it right. And I feel like they have, they have less risk, um, uh, uh, less, less risk ability than um, San Francisco does. San Francisco is already built to win now. I mean, the fact that they have a top three pick is just unfair with what they have on that offensive line, 
on the defense as playmakers. So that's, that's just a um, wealth of riches that they have. New York, you know, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are going to tie themselves, like you said, Chicago will to this quarterback and, you know, they have to get it right. And that, that pushes fields too, because, you know, with the exception of the Alabama game and, you know, the guy had broken ribs, you know, he was, he was really banged up. I mean, the guy just showed out his whole college career. There's not, there's really not much risk to me. There's, you know, and like you said, with the progressing through reads, I mean, yes, but I think last year with Herbert, it was the perfect description of, you know, the offense in college doesn't always let you show that, you know, you can't do it versus you're not doing it. Those are two different things. And Ohio state is kind of known. I mean, they always have extreme amounts of speed. That first look is usually open and, you know, it's as simple as just getting them the rock and letting them run. And, you know, fields is extremely accurate. He has a great arm. He has, you know, a knack for the big play. He's a, he gets, you know, he's a fiery competitor and uh, I think he'd be a great fit um, in New York city. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, from, from one QB that, you know, we're, we're kind of questioning, uh, the level of competition to another one that played at an even lower level of competition. Uh, what are your thoughts on Trey Lance? He, to me, he is kind of the ultimate enigma in this draft class. Yeah. I mean, just overall tantalizing tools, right? I think, I think, you know, we, we see it in the few highlight tapes and the, and the tapes we have. Um, he's got great arm strength. He really surprised me with his pocket mobility and his footwork. I thought his footwork was actually really advanced. Um, you know, I think he's been coached well and um, he is poised and confident, but again, you know, is it the system? Is it, is it what's required? He's a first read guy every time, but that doesn't mean he can't be a guy who gets through his progressions in the, in the NFL. It's just, we haven't seen it. Um, you know, the competition is extremely limited. Um, we, you know, we were both looking forward to, North Dakota state playing Oregon this year and, and really kind of seeing them out there with a little bit of a higher level. And obviously COVID got in the way of that. Um, and, you know, I think there's no doubt he's a first round prospect. It, it's all about the landing spot with him. You know, there's, I don't think he's a year one starter. I could be wrong. Um, but I just think uh, it's a whole different game speed. He's going to have to get used to it's, it's the progressions, um, his accuracy leaves a lot to be desired at times, but at the same time, you know, if it, if it pans out, I mean, the guy has kind of those game breaking tools that, um, that are just stupid with the arm strength, the speed, the size. And, um, I, you know, we're pretty sure that, that someone's going to pull the trigger on him somewhere in the top 10, you know, I think you mentioned you could, you're not out on him as the third pick in San Francisco. I mean, it might be Shannon's guy. Um, no, I don't, I don't think it's at all a stretch to suggest that, that Shanahan might be pulling a uh, what, the, what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. You know, you trade up, you get your guy for the future, but you also have Jimmy Garoppolo sitting there to play this season. And, and Jimmy has he has a full no trade clause, I believe, for 2021. So um, any moves that they would have trying to move him somewhere, uh, he would have to sign off on uh, it. I could see him maybe doing that for New England if New England came calling, but I don't know if he would for anybody else. And he might end up having to play that Alex Smith role for whoever they end up drafting. But if they're looking at these prospects and they're they're looking at, uh, let's say it's Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and uh, Shanahan thinks that 
that the ceiling for Lance is higher than it is for Wilson, which I, I believe some teams might look and see that. Um, what's to say they don't take him at three, sit him for a year and then play him in 2022. I think it's definitely within the realm of possibilities because uh, of these pro- of these prospects, um, Lance does have a pretty decent amount of experience turning his back to the defense and playing from under center. Um, that, that, that offense in North Dakota state is fairly pro related in, in its concepts and, uh, in its overall scheme. I mean, the obvious, uh, difference there is he's throwing to wide open guys and the talent level in North Dakota state compared to the, the teams that they're playing in, in FCS, like they're just so much better than everybody else that they play that there aren't a lot of tight window throws that you even have to evaluate for them because guys are just running wide open all, all the time. So to me, he's just, um, I, I think I started my scouting report off on him with, I don't know. I think were my first three words. It's like, I just, I, I, I see what everybody sees in him, his, his skill set, his, uh, his measurables, his uh, strength, speed, arm strength, all that. They're, they're intoxicating. You see, you see him out there uh, throwing the ball, and it's easy to see why teams are going to fall in love. But I, I agree. I think he's going to need a little more molding than any of these other guys just because he's only started one year, which is already a bit of a red flag for a lot of QB prospects and um, he's only done it at the FCS level. So um, I think, I think we're both in alignment though. And we're, we'll get into the, the fantasy implications of all these guys in a couple weeks. Uh, when we, we have uh, Steve with us. Uh, he will be going pretty high in our fantasy drafts uh, for next year, because uh, what he does with his legs is uh, pretty dynamic. So, so Trey, I think we, we glossed over one guy and I, I think we'll make this one short. Um, is, is there any chance at all, uh, that Trevor Lawrence doesn't go number one overall? Um, in theory, yes, but urban Meyer not showing up to Zach Wilson's pro day, just put the, put the icing on the cake, yes. you know, and understandably. So, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been the first overall pick in this draft since, since the Alabama game is freshman year, since, since probably high school. I mean, the guy is a creative player, um, just has every tool in the book you would want. Um, there are some things that, that I feel like, you know, we could have seen better progression in over the, over the last three years. Um, you know, he has a tendency to lock in on his guys here and there just because he can make it happen. Um, but just the intangibles are crazy. He's a winner. He's, he's poised. He has a, he has a rocket arm, um, he has touch. He can, as you, as you have highlighted many times, he's a, he's a gifted runner and I'll let you expand on that, but he just brings it all to the table. The stage is not going to be too big for him. And it's one of those things you just don't overthink it. He's, he's the number one pick in this class. Yeah. He's, he's the best runner in this class to me of, of the quarterback group. Um, he, he's so good at picking his spots when to do it. He's got big time speed, uh, more speed than anybody gives him credit for. I don't think he ran his 40. So I don't think we have a 40 time on him, but, uh, he starts running and he starts running away from people, uh, for the most part. Um, there's just so many different ways this guy could beat you. And you look at some of the things that people nitpick, him for and anytime you've been in that starting role for three years you know that third year you're going to get nitpicked on things a little bit just because there's so much film on you at that point 
um, there's a lot of the things that people are, are drilling down on uh, some of the, the locking on to guys, some of the questions about the progressions, a lot of that stuff are, are questions that people had about Deshaun Watson coming out of that offense too. Um, when he was being drafted a couple years ago and Watson really hasn't had any problems adjusting to the NFL game. Um, he's such a great athlete and, uh, Lawrence is right there in that category with him from an athletic standpoint. And he's even more of a unicorn when it comes to, you know, the size and strength that you're adding uh, to that skill set. And he's six, six. Um, he is a physical specimen. I have a hard time even coming up with a true comp for him. Uh, Cause I, I really haven't seen anybody uh, in, in my years of, of watching QBs and, and breaking them down for the draft. I haven't seen anybody like him before to me there's just a very very low bust factor for him I, I think um you know urban meyer picked his spot coming to the nfl he's had opportunities before plenty of them um this was a spot that he specifically wanted he knew trevor lawrence was going to be his guy coming and there's there's little doubt in my mind that uh that trevor probably has half the jags playbook and verbiage down at this point i'm sure he's got one sitting on his coffee table at home um, you know, he's going to be the pick. And I think with a lot of the talent that they have there in Jacksonville, it would not shock me if he has the Jags in, in position to make a wild card run next year in year one. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been so infatuated by Patrick Mahomes and, and rightfully so um, just, just from his sheer arm strength and, you know, pocket mobility and just the way he plays the game. Um, it's, it was just such a shot in the arm for, for NFL as a, as a whole to have a guy be able to do the things he does on a weekly basis. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of that with, with now, you know, Josh Allen and, and Justin Herbert and some of these younger quarterbacks who um, just are ex- just exceptionally talented. I think that's Trevor Lawrence's floor to me. I think he has the capacity to be Patrick Mahomes, if not, you know, it's hard to say better, but at that yep. level of, of, of player. And, and, you know, you just don't skip on a guy like that because, because you like another guy. I mean, they, I don't think that comes along even every 50 years. I mean, the guy's just a special, special talent. And by all accounts, you know, I think a very good leader and just brings that calm poise that you want in your pocket, you know, in your video room. And like you said, I mean, thinking about him, you know, being able to throw downfield to DJ Chark, being able to throw slant routes to LaVisca Chenault, you know, picking up some more playmakers in the draft, you know, we will get into that, but I know you've been pairing Rondell Moore at that late first round pick for the Jags for, for months now, you know, picking up a Rondell Moore or Kadarius Tony or an Elijah Moore or somebody like that to play the slot. I mean, you put him Trevor Lawrence with an offense like that as a rookie and he's going to, he's going to dominate right from the start. I mean, the, the AFC South is not necessarily to be feared defensively. The Colts are pretty solid, um, obviously, but you know, they, there's a lot of yards to be had, um, a lot of shootouts to be had. And, um, he's going to be, man, he's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm excited. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, uh, going from one guy that I don't think we have much debate at all on. And, and I don't know of anybody who really does uh, with Lawrence to a guy that's kind of, he's kind of the lightning rod at QB position position here in this draft class. Uh, Mac Jones, uh, a lot of different uh, 
lot of different evaluations on him, a lot of different projections on where he should go. Uh, I know, I think in this instance, this is probably the one area in this QB listing uh, that you and I differ a little bit on. Uh, Trey, where, what, give me your take on Mac Jones. Is he a first round prospect to you? I think Mac Jones is, is underrated. And I, I say that without, without taking into account the recent draft type he's gotten in the past month, because people are looking to pull stories and then, you know, they've already talked all they can about Lawrence and Fields and Wilson. And they want to say now, well, why are people overlooking Mac Jones? I think, you know, the guy, I think he has some things in regards to his timing, his ball placement um, that are NFL caliber, you know, physically he's nowhere near these other guys we've talked about the first four, you know, Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance, it's, it's not, it's not even a competition there, but when you're talking about being able to do some of the things that these other guys aren't showing, like progressing through leads, reads, placing balls, um, you know, pretty darn well, you know, adequate arm strength, you know, it's debatable, but his timing is good enough where he can lead guys, you know, gets rid of the ball pretty darn fast, knows how to operate and lead, you know, big time talent. I think there's a lot of things to be liked there. That said, it's hard to justify taking him as high as the analysts are, are projecting him to be, to be drafted. And, and I think, um, there's opportunity there. I think, I think he's more, you know, if, if Jimmy Garoppolo had worked out better or, you know, if Kirk cousins, you know, those types of players who they're distributors, they're not necessarily athletes or, you know, physically dominant, but you know, they're composed distributors at their best, um, with, with good ball placement and timing and, you know, ability to get through progressions and reads. Um, I know neither of those guys was a first round pick. Now, if there was a redraft, I think they would be, but I don't think they would be top 10 picks or maybe even top 15 picks. And that's kind of where I am on Mac. I think, you know, he deserves a lot more respect than he's gotten, but at the same time, you know, there's just a, a ceiling differential, right? There's just, he doesn't have the ceiling the other four have, and it's, it's not even really a conversation. Yeah. I'm starting to get to the point where I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm starting to realize he's probably going to be a first round pick. Um, even if in my mind, I don't think he is to me, he's a third round guy to me. And I'm, and I'm not saying that I, I hate him by, by any stretch. I, I just don't think he's a franchise quarterback. Uh, I think he's a guy that is going to be in the league for 12, 13 years, uh, as a very good backup and as a pretty good spot starter, I think he could be potentially in that Ryan Fitzpatrick role, you know, where he's able to come in for multiple games a season and win you a couple games. But I have some real questions about, you know, his, his athleticism, obviously I, I think he's uh, pretty stiff in the pocket. And I think I have some big time concerns about his arm strength too. Like to, to me, I, there was a number of times on film I'm watching those, those receivers and they are elite, elite receivers at Alabama they're just burning their DBs and uh, they're waiting on a deep ball coming from, from Mac uh, to where the, the catch actually ends up being a little more difficult than it needs to be. Um, and there's also some instances on there where I'm, I'm watching him throw out routes and he's having to torque his entire body uh, to get there. And, and, and I have some real concerns about, you know, we talked about level of competition um, for some of the other guys. And obviously that's not a concern for him playing in the SEC. But the guys that he played with, you know, 
the picture will never be clearer for him than what he had at Alabama. There, there were legitimately a couple games uh, I watched where I think he maybe got hit once or twice uh, the entire game. You know, he's just, it's almost seven on seven for him out there. He's got multiple first round picks on that offensive line. There's two first round picks a receiver this year, probably another one for next year out there. He's throwing two. He's got Najee Harris, who um, depending on who you ask uh, is either the first or second rated running back in this draft. Um, you know, it's just a, a plethora of talent out there. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty eye-opening when he gets to the NFL level. And everybody on his team is not better than everybody else out there. You know, everybody's professionals. He's going to be getting hit multiple times a game. Um, and I just don't know if he has the ability to make plays off script uh, the way that quarterbacks need to do in the NFL these days. You know, that's, that's very evident. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit, and this, this is not a comp, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of Josh Rosen. You know, what, what, what's been the issue for Josh Rosen coming to this league? You know, he's, he needs structure too much. He can't make plays outside of structure. Um, and the amount of, of situations out there that, aren't pretty that you're going to need to be able to ad lib is really it's most of them out there. There aren't, there aren't many situations in the NFL where you're going to be able to sit back there uh, for three, four seconds, untouched every single snap. And, and I really question whether Mac would be able to thrive in a situation like that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you, you're exactly right. And especially now the NFL is so much evolved to the quarterback who can extend plays, the quarterback who can go off script and, you know, put the team on his back and make a play. And, you know, Mac, I think, you know, the four, eight flat 40 was, was certainly better than I think we thought, you know, it, that kind of takes away the Tom Brady comp, right? Everyone was trying to, to compliment the Tom Brady <laughs> athletically. It honestly so, makes me question the, the stopwatches at that Alabama pro day though. <laughs> that That's true. Like, I'm like, well. okay, I have to go back and look at the other guys now. Like what did certain run? What did it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody's, you know, running a, you know, full 0.05 or a 10th, you know, faster, yeah. I think at the pro days. Nonetheless, I mean, the fact that bad, you haven't heard of any bad times coming out of these pro days. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Been, yeah. Very true. And, and like this year, it's totally with a grain of salt. But, you know, if you see a guy running four twos or four threes, you can say, well, he's fast, you know. Yeah. You already do. Like, that's exactly. kind of how I'm using him. It's like, what, what were the ones the other day? It was uh, the Penn State one. Parsons yeah. was 439. Oway was uh, 436. Four, those seem a little fast to me, but they confirmed what I already knew. The guys are fast. Like you're not going to have any issues with those guys. So yeah. for me, that's a checkbox for them. Like, okay, we're good. I don't need to go back and look at the tape to see if I'm missing something. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, you know, I'm on board with you there. He's, he's not that guy, but at the same time, you know, there are, you know, and I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's Matt Ryan's Kirk cousins, you know, Drew Brees to some extent, and those guys are great. And I'm not saying that he's going to hit that level. I'm just saying that they are not that quarterback. And so it, a lot of it depends on um, he's really going to have to be perfect. I think this year in college, he had a one year sample where he was basically, you know, not perfect as a prospect, but perfect in, in a standpoint of getting the job done for his team. Um, he held off, you know, Bryce young, who, is going to be a stud there at quarterback. Um, 
But I think part of that was just more about letting Bryce develop and, and get a year to figure it all out and come out um, a year smarter, a year more proficient in the offense and such next year. But, um, you know, I think I think he'll be OK. I wouldn't throw him out there day one. But I think, you know, teams like Pittsburgh that, that need an air, um, uh, they're they're the types of teams I, I'd like to see take a shot on, on a Mac Jones um, because you give him a year or two behind a guy who's just established and, and can kind of mentor him. Um, you know, there's, there's totally a chance he can go be a proficient, you know, game manager, manage an offense at, at a pretty high level. And, you know, no, you know, that the script is going to have to be executed for the team to win that day. He's not going to be able to adjust on the fly and start, you know, quarterback keeping it for, you know, 12 yard runs because, you know, they're, they're on the sidelines or whatever the case may be. But, um, there are plenty of quarterbacks in this league who aren't capable of that. So I guess that's the argument there. And, you know, no one, I'm not saying he's going to set the world on fire, but he definitely deserves his respect. He had a great year. So. So Trey, we're, we're almost out of time here for, for our first episode. Give me if you, a quick 30 second to a minute bit. Who's a, who's one more QB that you think we should have some eyes on for this draft. Well, for me, um, you know, he's not my favorite guy, but Kyle Trask, I mean, after that bowl game um, where they just got totally stomped, you know, he didn't have Pitts, he didn't have Tony, he didn't have Grimes. All those guys opted out, and he, he didn't look very good. But <laughs> the guy had a really excellent year, and even even last year, you know, he, he actually has a longer uh, track record of, of good football than Mac Jones, starting for two years down there at Florida, and in Dan Mullen's offense. And, um, you know, again, he's, he's not my favorite prospect, but he definitely, you know, with his size, you know, six, four, six, five, big, strong frame, strong arm, accurate. Um, again, he's not one of these guys who's going to set the world on fire. Um, he's not going to start making these athletic, crazy, um, extended plays, but, um, there's a, there's a role for a guy like that. You have a great comp. I won't, I won't steal your thunder, but, um, I would say he's worth mentioning and I wouldn't be surprised if a team moved up into the second round or, you know, even back into the first round to take a guy like Kyle Trask. Yeah, it could be. And, and that, that comp for me is Bortles. He's Blake Bortles. Like you, you watch the two play. It's like, you're watching the same playing style. The size is almost the same. They look about the same running. Um, it's, it's, it's odd watching him because he, he looks like a better athlete than he is. And he starts, like he looks more athletic backpedaling into his drop than he does running forward. It's so weird. <laughs> like you watch this guy take off and run and like, Ooh, like he shouldn't do that too often. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing, the thing that cracks me up about him when I'm watching is like, he, he is absolutely a one read guy. Like he very rarely makes it to a second read. And when he, he locks onto that first read and that ball is going there, whether it's covered, uncovered, it's like, he has some instances where it's just like come hell or high water. He's going to get that ball there. Um, that's something really easy to do with Kyle, really easy to do with Kyle Pitts there. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that bowl game uh, that, that he played, I, I was, I gave him credit for even suiting up and playing in that game because literally all of his weapons uh, opted out of the game. So he's out there with basically the scout team crew. And I, there probably were 
a handful of, of instances where they're not running the right routes. They're not lining up right. Uh, he's, he's probably pulling his hair out the entire game. So I give, I give him credit for being a gamer going out there and trying to prove something. It was, it was really bad tape for him. And I think it's something you probably shouldn't hold against him too strongly. Um, one, one guy that I, I do want to keep eyes on, um, going into the into the draft in a, in a month here uh, is Jamie Newman, a quarterback. He played for Wake Forest. He transferred to Georgia last season and ended up opting out of the year uh, for the COVID opt-out that a lot of teams uh, implemented. Um, this guy is very raw, but he is an extremely good athlete. He's big. He's strong. Um, his playing style reminds you a little bit of Cam's. Uh, he's obviously not as, as good as Cam. Um, not, he's, he's like a baby cam kind of, he's, he's his playing style similar. He's not as big. He's not as strong. He's not the elite caliber guy that, that, uh, that Newton is. Um, but he's got some good skills to work with there. He's got a strong arm. Um, he, he played in an offense that I'm intimately familiar with at wake. Uh, it's a very West coast oriented, uh, scheme from, from a routes perspective, um, would have been really nice to see him play in the SEC this year for Georgia. I was really looking forward to it because I think he could have legitimately put himself on the first round map if he had a good season for them. Uh, so he, he kind of has to rest on his wake tape um, going into this draft, and it's going to come down to how he does on the board work. And uh, he's somebody who's going to need a year or two to develop. And it'd be interesting to see if he turns himself into a pretty good backup or even, uh, you know, an occasional starter at the next level. But he's a guy that I think is worth keeping an eye on. Definitely. Just this, this class is full of these <clears throat> tantalizing athletes, right? And it's, it's a quite an interesting quarterback class. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, last year's uh, offensive tackle class, just the depth, um, the the tools you know the, these guys just kind of check a lot of the boxes and it's going to be fun to see where they land absolutely yeah we've had we've had some years in the past where we've had had uh, all the qbs at the top they all had some really big faults like some this guy's not that big this guy's arm is not that strong he's too much of a game manager like you don't really have any of that with this this year's top class like they're all really good athletes they're all good size they all have pretty good athleticism it's uh it's very interesting. I, I can't remember a year quite like this. I guess the, the closest comp, comp would be uh, a couple years ago, the, the Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, um, Sam Darnold one. But even that year, like you had questions about Baker's height. You had questions about, um, you know, Lamar's ability to operate in a pro system. You had uh, questions about Rosen's athleticism. Like you really don't see that with any of the top four to, to five guys this year. It's like, Almost all of them have those NFL traits that people are looking for. So that's a good place to end right there. Um, just looking forward. I think that's, that's also a pretty good transition to next week's episode. We are going to be looking at elite talents in this draft next year. So um, when you're looking at that, that's top 15, those top 20 prospects uh, across all position groups uh, who do you expect to be there maybe maybe your team out there is picking in this range and you need to know uh, who should we have eyes on them um, as far as uh, you know making that selection on draft night we'll tell you the guys uh, that are on top of our boards uh, that are on top of each position group there might be some some differences between some of the analysts out there and some of ours so definitely worth tuning into um, 
it should be really good and uh, you'll kind of get a glimpse into where some of our big boards are, are lying going into the draft. So that'll do it for this episode of the Conditional Six podcast. Please hit that subscribe button and feel free to leave some comments and feedback for us. Big thanks to our producer, Vince, for throwing this together. And for Trey, we'll catch you next week when we're back on the clock. Yeah.